This podcast is sponsored by The Coldest Water, a company at war with hot. They believe that the coldest things are the best things in life. Built for athletes and high performers, they are famous for creating the coldest water bottles to the coldest pillow to the coldest ice packs. They have even developed the coldest dog bed and dog bowl to keep your furry friends cooler during the hotter months. Get 10% off your first order by using the code CBC at coldest.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. And also, we're going to talk about one of your recommendations. We've been asking folks to drop us recommendations of books, (sighs) old trades, graphic novels, etc. In the iTunes comments, leave us a rating. Leave us a comment there. This week, we are going to be talking about uh, a request from Ziesh. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Spider-Man Rain. That will be the back end of the podcast. But let's kick it off with a bunch of new ones, starting with Devil's Rain, number six from Marvel, yes. written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. This is the end of the big crossover that focuses on Daredevil and the Kingpin as they come to blows in potentially their final battle. And it kicks off the next leg of Chip Zdarsky's run on Daredevil. So there's some big changes here. Obviously, spoiler warning. But what did you think about this event and how did you think about how it wrapped up? I liked it. I mean, we talked a little bit about the scope of this event, how it felt like it was like a smaller crossover and it wasn't like a line wide crossover. But it did a great job of really scooping up a lot of the characters in New York and the wider Marvel Universe. And like many of Shakespeare's greatest comedies, ended with um, a double romance at the end. Basically, they go off into the sunset together. That's uh, yeah, I did not see that coming. It's uh, it's kind of, you know, spoilers. It's amazing to see. Kingpin get a sail off in the sunset moment. I and we'll never see him again. Yeah, that's it. Um, but man, uh, what a crazy cool choice! I've I've loved this as an event. Really did a lot of great stuff. A lot of uh, um, unbelievable action in this. This is one of my favorite Marvel events. Uh, I had a blast. Uh, artwork's unbelievable. Uh, you want to talk about a twist that I did not see coming. It's uh, it's pretty impressive, man. Well, and also we got rid of a character that was always a little confusing, uh, Matt Murdock's brother, who yeah. sort of came from uh, out of thin air, essentially. So And to do it in a, in a smart way that made Matt really feel something was cool. And then, like we said, the Kingpin heading off to the tropics. I just hope he has enough sunscreen. Because you don't know he's if he's going guy. to the tropics. You don't know where he's going, man. You think he's sailing north? <laughs> uh, gonna go going to go relax. Yeah, going gonna, up to like, Maine. Those look like, like me. Bahama, dude. Those look For, like yeah, me. They're nothing like kingpins. a retiring in Delaware or something. <laughs> I thought this was great as well. I agree with Pete. This was one of my favorite Marvel events in a good long while. I think they killed it on the writing here. There's a lot of stuff at play. I love how they expanded <laughs> the scope beyond Daredevil. Obviously, there were a lot of like little mini series and things that spun off of it. But 
you could just read these six issues and be absolutely fine. And that's pretty cool. Uh, the game changing stuff at the end I thought was great. And I'm excited to see, this is another big spoiler, but Luke Cage, mayor of New York is a really fun thing to play with. And I think Hell that's yeah. going to be interesting to see going forward. So good yeah. stuff. Let's move on and talk about Mayor. Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons book two from DC Comics, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, art by Gene Ha. In this issue, Hippolyta is continuing to search for the Amazons, the original tribes, and I, I think just spoiler warning for this whole podcast. Let's just say that. We're going to talk about spoilers here. Yeah, blanket but, spoilers. Uh, but by the uh, end of the book, she has formed her own Amazon tribe of humans, and the dude gods have been pretty pissed off by that. Pete, what did you want to say? Yeah, you're talking too much without recognizing how bananas good this art is. I mean, back up the truck full of bananas. This is unbelievable, okay? This is Pete, you're just combining so... your catchphrases. <laughs> this is just like the the kind of like the, the face in the trees stuff was really... Moving and I was I thought this was an epic story. Uh, just the <laughs> panel layouts, everything was really great. I'm sorry, I agree with you. I just can't get past the bananas thing and picturing you going into a grocery store and holding up some bananas and be like, "This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life." You talk, uh, talk about like a perfectly ripe banana. I mean, come on, man. It's very oh, satisfying. Yeah. I like a slightly underripe, um, but I guess oh, I just got to oh, I got to echo. Pete. That hurts my teeth to even <laughs> yeah, think just about. Stop, it. dude. An overripe banana is just a disaster. Oh. Sure, you but get an it, underripe little... banana, there. Really, I like Can it's you... got some crisp. It's a little crispy. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no. No, no, you can really bite no. into it. No. Absolutely not. No. Does it what overwhelm with banana flavor? I like that there's a light banana suggestion. No. I love. I wish we were deeper in the podcast when we got to the discussion, so we could be like we were relatively fine with like thirty different comments, but comics. But when we got to bananas, we were like, no, yeah, no. That's the real argument. The first, we had. first comic in, we lost well, it. Let me just say, let's get back to the comics. I think this book really knocked it out of the bananas park and was a real <laughs> was a real kick in the back up the truck pants. If you know what I'm saying, oh, yeah. Man. This uh, no, this, this book, book is, is is so good. It's like reminiscent of the best Wonder Woman runs, the George Perez run, is yes. I always reference in relation to this book, and uh, just big epic storytelling and beautiful Gene Haar. I think, I mean, they're very similar because they're rehashing and reconceptualizing history, but in terms of black label books, this is up there with the other history of the DC universe in terms of like the high bar of what that line has put out, which is already a pretty high bar. The black label line has been great so far. Yeah, really. But this is awesome. Two issues in one of the best Wonder Woman stories of all time. Moving on to Alice Ever After, number one for Boob Studios, written by Tan Panosian, art by Giorgio Spalletta and Dan Panosian. This is a story telling telling the tale of a kind of an adult Alice from Alice in Wonderland, except what if instead of actually visiting Wonderland, she was addicted <coughs> to drugs, yeah. takes place in the same sort of time period regardless, and... I I really dug this. I like this. I was not sure what to expect from this. I thought we'd be getting something a little more magical based on Dan Panosian's last book, An Unkindness of Ravens. This more seems to be riffing on Alice in Wonderland stuff, but it's very dark. It's like skirts the line of being a little sexy Skirt. at points. Uh, and it's really good. I, I I enjoyed this book. What did you guys think? 
I first off, like I, I really loved the creative uh, time it took, like the little cat emojis, the different paneling. Some real creative uh, swings here. In such Sorry, a can I mention way. real quick, because I didn't say this in the introduction, it's mostly narrated by two cats. Go ahead, Pete. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the cat emojis are great and, and just kind of fun, like telling you who's talking. You don't get that kind of reveal until later. It's it's kind of tripped out when you think of Alice in Wonderland, but it's more truthful because we're dealing with drug addiction. It's a very interesting take. Um, I, I really loved it. I was, I was, at first I was like, okay, this one is Zalvin's like pervy picks, but it really does a great job of like, just kind of dealing with this kind of like lost character and what she kind of does and, and how she deals with reality. It's very interesting and very cool. When are we spinning off Zalvin's pervy picks into its own separate podcast? Yeah, we got to, oh, it's already sped up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, this book was was fun. Uh, I respect as as hard as it is for Alice and as dark as a, of a path she's on, she is giving her cats a treat at six p.m. on Tuesday, which is the time when you need to do that. Hey, I did. Uh, you know, I did it. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, the but this book though, I was like, I hope that there are some. <laughs> Sorry, just real quick. Did you only give the cat a treat because of repeated harassment from Justin on this? No, I'm always uh, giving my cat treats. When uh, you give your Pete's Pretty Kitty a treat what uh, about at 6 p.m., do you hear my voice being like, Pete, <laughs> give your cat a treat? No. no okay, well, you will. What about last out. week on our live show when you hadn't given the cat a treat? Yeah, well, the thing is, uh, you know, you my amazing some- uh, partner who I love so much, uh, you know, on Tuesdays, you know, the six o'clock treat and the uh, puff and the fluff is, uh, you know, she's got to step sorry, up. What? Sorry, sorry, real quick. I, <laughs> I hate to ask you to explain this, something that I will use against you forever. <laughs> but know. can you please explain what a, a puff and a huff is? <laughs> you said it wrong. And, is it a huff no, and a puff? I will not. I, no, I will not. You can't leave it open because everyone's going to wonder. <laughs> everyone's going to be concerned. A huff Are and you- a puff? Puff and a fluff? It's puff and a fluff, right? <laughs> oh my god. Are you blowing on what, the cat's belly? The... Are you what? and your cat get high together? <laughs> <laughs> no, my uh cat has asthma, man. So you <laughs> oh, okay. you give him like a breath uh, thing? Yeah, you gotta yep. Yeah. Like a What's nebulizer? the fluff part? What's the fluff part? The cat's fluffy. So you gotta puff the fluff. Oh, okay. Pete, you, yeah, that's pu- hashtag puff the fluff. Get it out there. You're, you're a branding genius. Um, wow. <laughs> I thought underripe bananas is a big topic. <laughs> Spider this Punk. Bo- real oh, real yeah, quick, though, I've never said that about this book. This book is super sad. I just hope there's a bright spot going forward in yeah. the next couple issues because it's just relentless so, with its depression for yeah. about Alice's life. And the art really good as well, uh, just from both. There's a separation between the quote-unquote Wonderland seeds and the quote-unquote real-world seeds, and I think it's really well done. Uh, It's very subtle, but it's definitely there. Spider-Punk, number one from Marvel, written by Cody Ziegler, art by Justin Mason. This is finding a post-death, 
I'm not 100% sure, of President Goblin. The Spider-Punk and his team are taking it to the streets. They're fighting Craven and Taking other, it to the streets. Yeah, other people. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about very this? Very punk. Very punk song choice, Pete. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Uh, I um, thought I thought this was great. I thought this was a really fun uh, Spider-Man comic. Love the reveal at the end. The big villain reveal was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought at first it was funny that Spider-Man had a guitar that he would hit people with. But once he kind of got past that, there was a lot of really cool stuff. Art's fantastic. Action's over the top. Uh, yeah, this is just uh, this is just fun. It would be hard to carry around a sick electric guitar like this uh, and swinging it around at people. Very, very heavy. Uh, But this is fun. I think the art, to me, really stood out as being really awesome, especially the villain reveal at the end I thought was really very creepily drawn. drawn. Um, And it's fun. In a world right now where we're reading a lot of Spider-Man books with a lot of sort of heaviness to them, this is just some real fun kicking around Spidey. Also, I really liked uh, Riri in this, the great use of the Riri. I, I, I don't know what my issue is. Well, no, I know what well, my issue is. Well, you hate punks? Is that what it is? I don't, spiders? I don't like punks, and they got to get off of my lawn. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Old man. Clint Eastwood over here. Yeah. No, the thing about it is actually the opposite. I want this stuff to be more counterculture than it is, and instead it feels mm. like a pretty across-the-board superhero book. And That's fair. Based on that, it works. The art is good, like you guys were saying. But my issue is, like, for example— Nothing against this art team, but they got Jim Rugg over doing the Hulk grand design thing. Jim Rugg knows how to do a counterculture book that feels punk, that feels like something that would come from, say, the comics movement or something like that. And that's what I want to see from Spider-Punk. We really haven't gotten that much at all from Marvel so far, and I wish we'd get that. So as the book, as itself, I think it works absolutely fine. It's fun, and I do really like where we end up, like you guys said, with the villain reveal at the end. But for most of this book, I was like, eh, it's just a superhero book, you know? That's a good call, Alex. Well, what this about book when they were about lecturing it? about uh, gentrification? You didn't think that was punk? That was a little punk. But I, I do think in general this book has about as much punk as Blink 182's fourth album. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dude. But Coming still, blink, just as a bro? pure superhero book, I think it's worth picking up. Hang Moving on, on. Second. Hang on a second. Justin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't shoot for the blink, because if you miss, bro, that's, that's it for you, all right? I'm here for blink. I was uh, first two albums, spot on. Oh yeah. my God. I was a bigger fan of the first 181 blinks, but I guess they're okay. Oh, boy. Cool. That's, uh, yeah. Don't explain it. I'm really into punk culture. What a star (laughs) squad. With my dad jokes there. One star squadron number five from DC Comics written by Mark Russell. Art by Steve Lieber. This is the penultimate issue of this book. As we deal with the ramifications of Heroes for You burning down, Red Tornado is trying to search for the answer of what happens. But it turns out they knew the answer the whole time. And it is... So much more sadder oh, and uh, more devastating than I expected. This, but, devastating. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, first off, it's a fun cover, so that was fun. <coughs> but uh, and for a second, I thought this was the end of the run, uh, and yeah. I was like, "Oh man!" But there's another issue left, so hopefully, it can kind of 
uh, take this frown and turn upside down a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of just this moment where it was like, hey, could you imagine if you didn't have superpowers and you just had to work a shitty job? I was just like, hey, hey, fucking I can, don't I can't take imagine shots at me, bro. You fuck. Wow. Really taking this book personally. I mean, this book to me was devastating much more for the just the revelations we get in the last like four or five pages. So sad. And I think that's a testament to Mark Russell's work as a writer that he comes into these books with this light, funny tone and then is able to just get us, like knife us in the back a little bit in the best way possible with the real uh, pathos he gets here. We talked about it on the show that uh, when he guested a couple weeks back that doing the comedy, he does comedy to sort of uh, just deal with all of the dark darkness that he sees around him in this book. This issue is a great example of that. Yeah, so good. The series is so good. I don't know what's going to happen in the last issue, but oh, I, no I love this one. I thought this was devastating and wonderful, and Steve Lieber's art, of course, is fantastic. Yeah. Moving on to Lego Ninjago Garmadon, number one from Image Comics by Tri Vong. This is a spinoff of the Lego Ninjago series that's been running for a really long time. This is the first official comic tie-in focusing on the villain character. Now, Pete, you're raising your hand. What's going on? Well, I just wanted to say, uh, Alex, when you sent us the stack, I got to admit, I got to be honest with you that uh, I immediately started swearing your fucking name. I was like, Zelvin, you fucking, you know, like there's not enough amazing comics out here. We got to read this fucking Lego book because you're a fucking, you know, you, oh, I like you, you know, and I was just like tearing into you. And then I read it. This was my fucking favorite of the week. Like this was. Oh my god! I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I fucking love this book. Here's what I was reading this book. I was like, Alex, you're just trying to feed Pete a little (laughs) Scooby snack. Is what this is. Because this book, as I was reading it, I was like, this is Usagi Ninjago. Ninjago is what this book. Usagi Yojimbo. No, it's Usagi Ninjago. Oh yeah, I see what you're doing now. Okay. Uh, and I knew you'd love it. I, I thought it was cool for what it was. Um, I was there's so much twists and turns with the Gar- Garmadon character. Um, I just like the sort of wayward uh, Lego samurai vibe. Yeah, if anything, it's funny the Lego stuff takes away from it a little bit. But I, I don't know if you guys have watched it or had to watch it because you're kids. My son was crazy into the Lego Ninjago stuff for a while. I think he's probably watched that show like four times in its entirety. But the creators... That's too many times to watch any show. No sane person would watch a show (laughs) four times. (laughs) But the thing about the Lego Ninjago show is it was created uh, by these two guys, Kevin and Dan Hageman is, I believe, their names. They're also working on Star Trek Prodigy, which is the Star Trek Nickelodeon spinoff that's on Paramount Plus right now. And they do a really good job of taking these things that should be stupid by the numbers kids fair and then infusing it with like a lot of emotion and some really intricate, interesting mythology throughout. Uh, And that's what they did with Lego Ninjago. That's what they did with troll hunters, the Guillermo del Toro thing on Netflix. Uh, That's what they're doing with Star Trek prodigy as well. And so I think this is like, this is a worthy successor to it. They did a good job here. The Lego figures took me out a little bit, but like Pete said, if you're into a wandering samurai tale, oh, this is great. Great. Good stuff. 
fantastic. I can't believe how much fun this was. It's Very really nice great surprise. art. Usagi Mar- Ninjago. Good one. Marauders, number one for Marvel, <laughs> written by Steve Orlando, art by Eleonora Carlini. This is taking Kate Pride and her new crew and bringing them into space. They are essentially the new star drammers at this point, interacting with the Shi'ar. So what did you think about this reboot for the concept? Uh, <laughs> Pete <laughs> falls completely silent. Um, I like this. I mean, this book, uh, to me, has always felt a little bit of an odd fit in the uh, new X-Men line. And it felt like a limited series. They were like, ah, eh, let's just keep doing it. Um, I like them in space, and I like sort of the character relationships that we have. The Cassandra Nova of it all, I'm curious how that's going to spin out since she is truly one of the worst X-Men villains of all time as far as like, the <laughs> devastating effect that she had on the team. So I'd be curious how that's going to shake out. The creepy old lady of it all was so intense. Uh, really kind of uh, uh, freaked me the fuck out. I mean, when what she... did you like? Now, she has sort of like grandma energy. And, and on the stack, we always talk about your love of grandmother characters. What's about her is different, Pete? Well, this is a creepy, evil grandma who takes a fucking happily takes, uh, you know, a sword to the face there in kind of the creepiest panel I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I I don't uh, I don't uh, when it's creepy and bad grandmas that it's 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 awful. So this is really just uh, it's freaking me the fuck out. And the whole. uh Clipping the island's organs scene also freaked me the fuck out. So, um, uh, yeah, this. So she's not really a gilf like the grandma over in Once and Future. How dare you, Zelbs? No, no, grandma. I'd yes. like to find in the pages of a comic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope. right, Pete. No. I I think this is like right over the plate for Steve Orlando in particular because it's taking like very 90s, 2000s X-Men space stuff, throwing it together with the modern weirdness. Cassandra Nova is exactly his sort of character. So I think like he does a good job of taking all the stuff, distilling it and then spitting it out into something wild and new. And it's fun for that. Batman Killing Time, number two from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by David Marquez. This is a story telling a, about a heist that's been pulled off by Catwoman, the Riddler, and technically Penguin, though Riddler almost beat him to death the last issue. And as yeah. Batman is trying to, oh, and Killer Croc, and as Batman is trying to track them down, it's jumping backwards and forwards through time to show what Potentially, it is that they stole, which we don't know yet. This is great. And like we talked about with the first issue, this is Tom King doing his structural stuff, but having fun while he's doing it. And it doesn't feel like a lot of his stuff in a very good way is like, oh, you're going to you're going to get depressed. This is going to be super depressing. This is not what this is. This is him doing an Ocean's Eleven style heist, but with the same sort of intricacy and depth that he usually brings to comic books. Plus you have incredible art from David Marquez. Pete, what'd you think about this one? Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, uh, the art was just really fun. There's kind of like some artsy moments in there. That's really cool. Um, yeah, the whodunit of it all was fun. Tom King loves having Catwoman and then somebody else in the story. And, uh, 
I don't know what it is about that, but it's just great. Um, just very, just intense all over the place, but you're kind of a, a glad to go along for Tom King's. Yeah. You can feel the joy coming off the page. I didn't, I think this is just a badass book. Yeah, the, I mean, I agree with all of that. the The time dashing format of it is what I think really pops here. Like it's it's so continuous. The sort of narration of the different time periods feels so propulsive throughout the issue. One thing that I want to call out in particular that I absolutely loved here, and again, big spoilers, but there's a point. So Riddler, as I mentioned, has beaten Penguin almost to death. Where Catwoman and Riddler are hiding out in a cabin. And Catwoman's like, okay, nobody knows about this. Nobody knows what happened. Wait, you didn't leave any clues, any riddles for anybody. And Riddler's like, no, I didn't leave any riddles. Come on, I'm smarter than that. And at the end of the issue, we find out that he left Morse code on Penguin when he beat him, which was a clue for Batman. And you get to that and it's – I don't know about you guys, but I was completely suckered by it. I was like, okay, yeah, this is the one time that Riddler did read riddles. And of course he did. And the way that information is slowly spooled out is so smart and so much fun. And you're right there with the characters. Like you said, Justin, it's just very propulsive in terms of the way that it's moving forward. This book is great. This podcast is sponsored by The Coldest Water. Get 10% off your first order by using code CBC at coldest.com. Little Monsters, number two from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. This tells the story of a post-apocalyptic world. We've been following some small vampires that have been left alone for years little in this vampires. world. Little small vampires. Little, little cute little vampires. And everything changes this issue. Pete, I know this is one of your favorite, or at least one of your most anticipated. What do you think about this issue? Uh, I just love it. I love the black and white of it all, the splashes of red that they use. It's... um. It's crazy, it's adorable, it's intense. Uh, Yeah, I'm really enjoying the shit out of it. Um, Yeah, it's kind of cool where we kind of leave off here to give excitement for the next issue. You can't say enough about the art, but also the writing here by Lemire is is fantastic as well. This is a fun book, but it's, it's creepy in all the right ways, so you're not like up at night, scared shitless. You're kind of like in, in it with these characters. Someday I want to find out from you what all the wrong ways are, but maybe not right now. Go ahead, Justin. What did you yeah. think? Um, from Descender to Ascender to this book, as long as we have a steady stream of yeah. these two guys working together, like it's so good. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, so keep it coming. X-Men Ren, number one from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Stefano Caselli. This is a book focusing on the X-Men who are living on Mars, which has been renamed Araco. Specifically, Storm and Magneto take center stage this issue as they're trying to figure out their new lives on this other planet. Justin, I know you're pretty hyped for this book. How do you think it panned out? I said this on the um, live show, like... If you're missing Hickman, I think Al Ewing is bringing that same energy here. Feels like uh, he's telling a much larger story. Really understands the X Men and is bringing in so much of the complicated Araco uh, Krakoa relationship here. I love the character choices: Sunspot, Magneto, Cable in here, um, even uh, Vulcan. Sort of the unpopular <laughs> if there could be a least popular summers brother um it is vulcan i think uh i think used very well here 
uh, John Proudstar as well, the original Thunderbird. Very cool. Nobody likes his Summers brother. Uh, I, it's funny because of the the cover. I thought it was X Men O Red uh, because of that little circle before that, like an so, Irish red. Mm. Uh, yeah, or if it was like another kind of like hidden X Men O Red. Uh, you know, <laughs> like there would be a page uh, where it was kind of revealed that circle meant a different word or something. Um, circle. But yeah, I this starts off uh with a badass fight, so that's very enjoyable. You got Storm versus Storm here. This uh the story, the classic story of the fisherman and Magneto. You know, those are the talks that you want to kind of have. You know what I mean? Like what if Magneto met an old fisherman? What would they talk about? You know what I mean? Give a man a Magneto, he'll attract metal for a day. Mm-hmm. Teach a man Magneto and he'll be metallic. He'll be a magnet for the rest of his life. It's weird how awkward that particular axiom is, but I appreciate you repeating it. Yeah, no, definitely. That's how I live my life. Batman Beyond Neo Year, number one from DC Comics, written by Colin Kennelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Max Dunbar. In this version of Batman Beyond, Bruce Wayne is dead. And Batman Beyond is left alone trying to figure out what is going to become of Gotham, fighting a new enemy here. What do you guys think about this one? Well, it really felt like uh, the animated show in comic book form. Like, it really kind of feels like that, which is awesome. That's what you want. I love the Batman Beyond series. So I felt like this kind of was a great extension of that. Uh, Great action, unbelievable art. Uh, Love the uh, bad guy. Um, I I really like Batman Beyond and uh, uh, Terry McGinnis as a character. Um, I feel like it's too, the tone here is just so like super dark Bruce Wayne stuff. And I, what I liked about the, the, the tone of the animated show is there was a little bit of a difference between Batman Beyond and regular Batman. Like he messed up, he, um, tried different things. Uh, he has sort of, is that combination of Batman and Nightwing in a great way. And I feel like we've lost a little bit, bit of that in this series, but in general, I like the, the holographic man stuff and uh, the the villains in the world here, I think is really cool. I just hope we get to lighten it up a little bit. Loaded Bible, blood of my blood. Number two from image comics written by Tom C- Tim Seeley and Steve Orlando art by Giuseppe Cafaro. This Seeley. is continuing the story of Jesus versus Dracula. Oh, the classic tale. Classic wow, tale. It's right there in the part of the Bible they don't tell you about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, this is as wild and bloody and gruesome as you'd expect. Pete, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this is just over-the-top fun. These two are great together, and it kind of comes through in this. Um, yeah, you're, there's a, a ton of great battle scenes, as you would want from a, a Jesus versus Dracula kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is this is creative in all the right ways and really over the top. Uh, art's fantastic. Uh, yeah, this is just a fun, fun round. Um, yeah, I mean, this is fun. I, I feel like this is just continuing to expand the, the world from the first issue we talked about. And uh, you can tell that they're having fun making. Yeah, this. yeah, definitely. Let's move on then and talk about Earth Prime Batwoman number one from DC Comics, written by Cameras Johnson, Natalie Abrams, and Kelly Larson, art by Michael Calero and Clayton Henry. Now, this is a in-continuity book 
with Batwoman. It's the part of first part of the a TV mini show. the TV series. Yes, uh, it's the first part of a crossover that they're building, which is going to fo- each focus on one different one of the currently running shows. So we're going to get a Star Girl one, a Flash one, a Superman Lois one. Um, excuse me, and then a crossover at the end here that they're teeing up. Uh, There's also a backup, as mentioned by Cameron Johnson, which focuses on character Luke Fox. I know I watch these shows, but I'm curious to hear from you guys who don't watch these shows what you thought about this issue. Don't fucking flex on us. We watch Stargirl, motherfucker. Don't be a dick. I'm not flexing on you that I watch TV shows, Pete. Calm down. seems like you are. You're like, I watch these things, but you guys don't. No, I'm curious to get your input and hear if you like this bad comic book. Don't, don't Don't make us, wow, don't make us start a Batwoman podcast just so you have to watch the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, I like the different styles of it. I, I like the Batwoman stuff. I uh, like the Clayface stuff. Um, the I like the the backup. The art style was very cool. Um, you know, you got 40 pages. It's a big issue. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, I don't watch a TV show, so this was uh, uh, very dense and hard to get into. Especially, it was very telling in the first page. There's a box to, that lays out a bunch of crazy continuity that I, I was like, whoa, this is a weird way to start. Um, the characters seem interesting. It just feels very much of not a comic book story, the way it's put together. I really liked Clayface as a villain, and this made me think, why don't we have Clayface in a major uh, Batman movie as a villain? Would it be a great villain option going forward? As somebody who does watch the show, total flex there that I'm, I have access yeah, to broadcast to TV it. networks. Now, just to have 45 minutes. I mean, that's wild. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you guys. This was kind of frustrating for me, to be honest. I think the idea here to say, okay, we can't really do Clayface on TV, so let's do it in a comic book. Very smart. Like that as a villain. I think that's great. I think the action scenes with Clayface versus Batwoman were good. I also really liked the backup story. Cameron Johnson wrote a previous story about his character from the TV show for another anthology book. So I feel like he has a better handle on the form here. But there was too much going on. I've watched every episode of Batwoman. And I feel like they wrote this as if it was a script for Batwoman and then jammed it into the length of a comic book. And that just did not work. Add in the fact that they brought in Lena Luthor over from the Supergirl comic book, which also complicated things with that continuity. Not to mention the fact that, not to get too deep into this, but for those who didn't pick up the book, they very strongly hit uh, the fan favorite but so far non-canon couple Supercore, which is Supergirl and Lena Luthor getting together. They all but come out and say it. And as a fan of that couple who ultimately found the finale kind of frustrating because they danced around it, probably for corporate reasons, to still be dancing around it five months after the show ended in a comic book where, like, it doesn't matter. Just, like, be like – instead of be like, I have a hot date – also, I really respect Supergirl, and she really changed my life. Just, like, connect those docs. Like, just come out yeah. and say it. This would be the time to do it. And the fact that whoever on the corporate chain is telling them not to is infuriating. So good for the backup. Good if, like, you're a hardcore fan of the shows. But I do hope the other issues of this crossover understand the comic book form better, because this one did not work. 
Sorry, sorry to be so negative. I don't like being negative, but Sir, we're go. we're true critics and journalists, so that's no, why we have no, to come not. out. Real, but the art is real. good. The art is good across the board. I yes. think they did a good job there. Um, Last flight out, number six from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Eduardo Ferragato. This is wrapping up this mini series about the end of the world and a father who is just trying to get his daughter out. I think we enjoyed the first couple of issues of this, though found it to be very much a movie pitch in comic book form. How do you think it wrapped up? Yeah, I mean, it's Armageddon at the end there. Um, Yeah, it very much feels like uh, a movie pitch. Uh, But the art's good. You know, it's good writing. It's a touching idea. But, uh, you know, Armageddon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I liked the emotional beats uh, of bringing this to a close and the way it sort of left off at the end. I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad for uh, the guy that gets um, Armageddon. Yeah, potentially. I think there is sort of a dot, dot, dot at the end there in terms of the concept. And just as a comic, even though, yes, it is very clearly a movie pitch that's going on here. I think it's fun. I had fun reading it at the same time, just because it is so propulsive. It is pushing through the plot points so quickly. It's big and macho across the board in terms of how everybody presents themselves. So I think it's worth searching out if you're looking for a big, dumb summer action movie in comic book form. I think it works on that level. Um, So I was happy to read the whole thing. Last but not least, maybe, I guess we'll see, is Spider-Man Reign from Marvel, written by Kare Andrews, art by Kare Andrews with Jose Villaruba, requested by Zish <laughs> on iTunes. Again, if you want to make a request, drop it in iTunes in the comments. Leave us a rating and a comment. Now, this was a source of much consternation from one member of the podcast. I don't want to point any fingers here when it was brought up, but to reassure him, I don't want to speak for Justin here, but we've been pretty harsh about this comic over the years. And part of the reason, uh, Zisesh, I'm going to stop pronouncing that. The person who listens to the show brought it up is they felt like, yes, talking about Peter Parker's penis, which shows up, in early versions of the comic book is a very easy joke to go to. And we've certainly gone to that well a lot. The fact that spoilers here, but Mary Jane dies because of the radioactivity uh, from being close to AKA having sex with Spider-Man is another source of jokes, but he was very emotionally touched by the book or she was very emotionally touched by the book uh, and uh, felt like it was worth reevaluating. So, well more than a decade down the road, how did this comic book strike you when you read it again? Justin, why don't uh, we go to you? Because I know Pete's nice. going to probably rant about it. Um, I like rereading this book. Um, I feel like, to your point, Alex, the top line stuff um, definitely got a lot of the play when it first came out. Um, and it is like really uh, sort of a sad existence for Peter Parker and a sad way for the character to end up if this were to be the end of his story. But I let Kari Andrews has such a unique storytelling ability and the choices um, that uh, Kari makes are always 
interesting or unexpected, I think. Um, and combine that with the art in this book that feels like a mid-90s MTV late-night show, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like um, Aeon Flux or uh, or a show like that. I, I really liked going through it. I I think the it's a vi- visually different and still also different from the way that Kari Andrews' work has changed since this book came out. Um, so I, I enjoyed it, despite the fact that I agree that the whole MJ thing was so such a punch in the gut throughout the book um, that it's hard to get past that for someone here. Uh, just to throw out my thoughts, and then I'll turn it over to you, Pete, for your patented Pete rant. I First of all, thank you to the person who recommended this. I always love revisiting things and checking that out. Um, I agree with you, Justin, that I think Kari Andrews' art is phenomenal throughout this book. The designs are so good. The hulking Venom, which I had completely forgotten about late in the book as the Venom villain, is super interesting and just, like, very terrifying, as well as his extremely wimpy skinny Spider-Man, the way that he draws him old is really good as well. Also, I was uh, fondly enjoying the J. Jonah Jameson that shows up here, the older version. But reading the book, I was struck by, I remembered my problem with it in the first place, which was not the two things that we called out. It was the fact that it feels like a pale imitation of Dark Knight Returns down Mm. to the uh, people, the smiling faces talking on the news programs to the fact that the city is under attack by this enemy um, to just a broken down older character. And those were the things that really honestly hurt it for me. And I remember not liking in the first place and they still felt like it this way. It felt like you're trying to do Dark Knight Returns with Spider-Man. It doesn't really work necessarily. There are some sequences that work that I really appreciate and I like, but it feels like a rip-off clone idea instead of something original. And frankly, given how phenomenal Kari Andrews' art is, it deserves a better story than that, you know? So that feeling I had back in the day still came back, even though... I appreciated reading it again a decade plus on. Pete, what about you? Okay, here we go. So first off, um, I remember hating this book. And then, you know, Zalbin said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we let people pick some stuff that we talk about? And I'm like, sure, yeah, I guess that would be cool. But then it became a point of like, why do I let somebody tell me what to do if I don't fucking want to do it? That's you your know, review so, of this book? Is it shut indictment? Shut the fuck up. Of- I listened to you fucking both rattle on, so it's my fucking turn. Yeah, and Pete's been sitting on this for like two weeks now. Yeah, so and we didn't get to wait for Maui Wowie to get back on the podcast so I could fucking talk about this. <laughs> oh so I've been gosh, sitting on this for so two red. fucking weeks. Okay, so listen, I had to fucking <laughs> deal with this, what I didn't like before. And Spider-Man is a tough comic for me because I like it so much. It's hard when the comic isn't good to sit through it and to fucking uh, uh, sit with the character that you love so much that isn't what you like about the character. And this, for me, is that times ten. The first time we were supposed to read and review this book, I couldn't make it through it. I fucking read till a part that made me furious and then I didn't go back. Um, so then we, it came up again somehow. 
couldn't make it through. This, I tried to read it again and, and made it past other points. But then when it got to the fucking Spider-Man sleeping with the corpse of MJ, I was like, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to read this piece of shit again. But because of uh, Maui Waui, uh, the traveling adventurer, I had an extra week. So I said, fucking, all right, let's go back. Maybe Zalbin for not fucking, uh, you know, being relentless. There's a reason to read it. And I finished it. And what's frustrating to me is every part of this is not Spider-Man. Then he breaks out of the coffin and everything you kind of love about Spider-Man comes back. And it really redeems itself, which I was not not ready for. I was really impressed by the ending, which I had never read. Red. I never. Wow. Wow. This is good. So, I guess the real lesson here is finish your books. <laughs> I guess. I well, guess. But I do think, honestly, this is why you revisit things. Like, you could have ended up at a place where you're like, nope, this is absolute trash. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad because to hear that you feel keep like it's below the belt as far as like. Things that you might like about the character or things that, you know, because it, it's fucking dark and it stays there for a long time. And I get it. It's part of the story. It's part of what kind of makes this story impressive. And what's great about Spider-Man is he's not going to give up. So, like, the but, man, you have to go through a lot of shit to be able to come through on the other side. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was... I, I didn't want to say this, but I'm glad we did this. Wow. wow. Can't believe Pete coming out with the most positive review of Spider-Man Reign on the podcast of the three of us. That's pretty Move amazing. this to the front. We were I, <laughs> I stopped recording 10 minutes ago, but I think we should move this to the front. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, thank you again for the recommendation. We appreciate it. Next week, I believe we are going to be talking about Batman Dark Victory, which, again, was yeah. a recommendation from iTunes. So if you would like to recommend something, please let us know. In the meantime, if you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. To subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. And I'll see you at the Green Banana section of the grocery store. Oh, 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 oh.